everybody. This is Tyler. This is Danny. And we're on episode 90 of Fried Squirms. Jesus Christ, we're getting up there, dude. I know, man. We're about to hit triple digits soon. That's right. Really fucking soon. But we're here to talk about horror movies with you guys. And in this case, this is something we brought up possibly doing all the way back on episode 12. Yeah, it's been a hot minute. It was one we've been working on for a while. So this week, we are going to talk about the remake of a movie we've already talked about with 2006's The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, and it's fun because we've talked about remakes and just readaptations and how they're not always that great, but this might be an exception to that rule. Yeah. Let's see. Before we get there, how's your week been? It's been really good. I think I told you that our friend and comrade in arms, Mr. Patrick, he had a show this weekend this past Saturday. So I got to check him out. got to see him drum finally. For those in the Missoula or surrounding areas, if you have the chance to see the Scurfs play, do yourselves a favor and check it out. They're Montana's premier ski surf rock, <laughs> which I was like, damn, that's pretty awesome. But they were shredding it, man. Yeah. So got to see them. Got to see a band from Boise, which blew our fucking minds. Is this band called Thick Business that came up, knocked it out of the ballpark. And then another local band, More Better, they opened up, put on a really good show. So I want to thank the bike doctor here in town for putting on that show. It was a free show and just blew me away. So I had a really good time. How about yourself? My week was pretty good, pretty good. Didn't really do a whole lot. I'm a little bit of a sniffly bitch today, That's so okay. I'm going to apologize ahead of time for all that shit that you're going to be hearing yeah. throughout this episode. It's not drug-induced. No, not this time. I think, God, I hope I'm not coming down with some, I mean, it, yeah, sounds, it feels like season, I might dude. be on the edge of coming down with something, but we'll see. I might be able to rest up enough tonight, and I don't know. I've been sleepy bitch all today, too, so. Well, it is the changing of the seasons, too. That probably doesn't help a lot. Let's see. I went and saw The Predator last night. Yeah, I saw the post that you put up. Yeah, well, we didn't talk about it at all yet, because I was just going to wait to do it here on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about it a lot, because this isn't an episode about The Predator. Plus, it's way more action than horror anyway, especially cool. this iteration. But I really enjoyed it. It was a bit goofier than I thought it would be. I was expecting some quippiness, because I kind of know what to expect from a, a Shane Black movie, especially at this point in his career. But it was even more quippy than I thought it was going to be. Almost took away from it in parts, but it overall just ended up being like way too fun for me to actually get down on too much. It's a pretty action movie. There's some really good gore, and then there's a couple shots where I'm like, why did you guys even include this? Like, this is some really dumb-looking CG shit. There's a couple times where it's extraneous shit anyway. But not enough times, you know, for me to dislike the movie. And the sequel it sets up for might be pretty boss. Good. Um, it opens up the door, eh? Yeah, it definitely leaves off setting something up. And I don't know. I feel like I've been saying this about a lot of movies lately, where, like, I would understand if somebody told me they hated that movie. I feel like your enjoyment of The Predator depends a lot on how you viewed Predator back in the day. And for me, like, I really kind of wanted to just be the Predator. You know what I mean? Like, he seemed like the ultimate badass. Like, whatever, I love Arnie, but really, fuck Dutch and those guys. Like, <laughs> to me, that movie was a lot of just showing off, like, the coolest new motherfucker on the block. Yeah. And um, it was a bunch of macho men in that film, so you yeah. had that... And this movie kind of builds on that. Like, it's a lot of the feeling that I personally wanted after watching The Predator when I was growing up of, like, 
getting to play with his toys and getting to see what it's like and just getting to see a lot of this fucking badass hunter in action. And if that's not what Predator was for you originally, then you might not like this one. But Good it was point. that for me, so I liked it. So Well, cool. I'll definitely check that out when it hits DVD and Blu-ray. So I'm glad you got to take that in. I know it's one we've talked about a little bit, so cool. There is an upcoming flick this weekend. I'm not going to say anything about it until I actually see it, but I've mentioned it before. It involves Nick Cage. Oh, right. It's a yeah, part of the Montana playing, Film Festival. So that's I'm gonna, playing Friday, huh? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure s- if I'm going to be able to head I down, know. but if I don't, then I'm going to go home and watch it. So Yeah. So, I mean, it's still available for VOD, but I was like, man, it's here in town. I can wait, and here it is. So if I go see it, I'll talk about it a little bit more next week. But as far as like personal stuff, that's about really all I've been up to. Yeah, I don't know. I just hope I'm not getting fucking sick. Honestly, I wouldn't mind not going to work tomorrow, but it <laughs> yeah. always sucks not going to work when you're feeling crappy. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? It's great to not go to work when you're feeling good. But no when shit, all, right? if all you're going to be doing, though, is like sitting around fucking chugging orange juice and trying not to feel like you're Dog fucking dick. dying anyway, then yeah. fucking I might as well be at work and making that money. So Understandable. Well, I do have a few things in terms of horror news related to... All right. Yeah. So the first thing I've seen was that over the weekend, this past Friday, news broke that Friday the 13th screenwriter Victor Miller has prevailed in a lengthy legal battle. And apparently this will determine some of the future fate of the franchise itself. So what happened was the U.S. District Court Judge Stephen Underhill... He granted summary judgment in favor of Miller and against the producers, which were Horror Incorporated. So apparently what this means is that Miller, he's going to retain the rights to the Friday the 13th here in the States, but only in the United States. So what that means is Horror Incorporated, anything after Friday the 13th Part 3, they can play with that universe because Miller didn't have the rights to that stuff. He had already sold his rights at that point. So the iconic hockey mask wasn't introduced until part three. So Horror Inc., it sounds like they'll have some of that freedom to use the Jason Voorhees character with the mask. After that, it kind of gets fishy with his mother and with Camp Crystal Lake and some of the other stuff. I was about to say, I was reading a little bit on that myself, and it seems like there is still a lot of murkiness even after that ruling and that there's still stuff that's being decided. So this is a first step. Exactly. It's still murky, but... But still nobody knows what exactly, who's going to be able to use what right now. I heard there was even some weirdness about, like, the actual character of Jason itself. And yeah. that probably ties into, like, what the mask thing you were talking about, so... Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see what happens. But from the sounds of it, there's still going to be future reiterations, whether it's Voorhees, as we know, Jason Voorhees, or just the mask figure. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But eventually we'll get some more films, is what it boils down to. So aside from that, I did see that Scream Factory, they're kicking off a couple of different films. So this January, at the start of the new year, if you're a fan of Brian De Palma, Scream Factory are releasing Obsession, his Blu-ray. And that's going to be for a January 15th, 2019 release. There's also another film that they're bringing out. And if you're a fan of Charles Bronson, and if you're not familiar with this film... He had a action meets slasher film, the 1983's 10 to Midnight. So, apparently it's a, an LAPD detective. He's on the trail of a very handsome young man who had been seducing and slashing many women to death. 
from what I understand, that's kind of a inspiration for the character of Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. So if you're familiar with that, then you'll maybe have a little bit more background on why his character is the way he is. But anyhow, if you're familiar or if you're wanting to get a copy, it is releasing on January 22nd. That's for 2019. Another cool little thing is we've mentioned this several times because we have done The Shining and... There is a sequel to the novel that's being adapted to film. And so with that, the Dr. Sleep director, Mike Flanagan, he says that some of this film, the new one, is going to be loosely based off The Shining. They'll kind of reference it. But he actually got in contact with Danny Lloyd, who played the young Danny in The Shining. And what he said was is that when he met him, he said it was interesting because he's a teacher. He lives in the Midwest now. He said that they definitely spoke to him. He said he doesn't want to spoil anything. But they absolutely got in touch with him. So I'm wondering oh. with that, like how much they're going to base Ewan McGregor's character off of The Shining's Danny. And, you know, right. maybe that guy can give him some insight into how he got into character and yada yada. Nothing's been spilled yet, but how a lot he of got into character. I sat there while Kubrick made everyone else do everything 500 times. Yeah. I got to play with a lot of bears. There's a lot of bear imagery, <laughs> some weird shit. So I'm excited about that. I know Patrick, he holds Dr. Sleep in pretty high esteem, so that'll be fun. So the other thing that I've seen is that Amazon Prime, being that it's now October, they're releasing a slew of horror films. So if you want to get into binge watching, as of today, which is Monday, October Mm -hmm. the 1st, you can watch such things as An American Werewolf in Paris. There's the sequel to Candyman, The Farewell to Flesh, if you like Carrie from 1976, Child's Play. I was looking at a few of them, Mulholland Drive, one we've covered, Nightbreed. Definitely check that out. Nice. Once Bitten, Jim Carrey. Oh, sweet. Yeah, dude. Return of the Living Dead. There's The Poltergeist Part 3. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, which yeah. we've covered. Yeah. Hell yeah. Part 2. The Rage, Carrie Part 2, which I've heard is actually a pretty good sequel. Kind of uh, underrated. Was that the one that they did in the late 90s, early 2000s? I think so, yeah. I watched it like five times. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Nice, dude. It ends at a house party. She slings CDs through people's necks. It's pretty dope. <laughs> nice. So a few others outside of today's date. If you're a fan of the movie Devil, it's coming on October 16th on Prime. Donnie Darko on the 17th. The movie Slice on the 18th. And on the 26th, the movie Bad Samaritan. So, you know, if you want to get a 31 days of Halloween or October for horror movies, Ooh. it's a good way to binge it, you know, say check oh, them out. I was just thinking, I am going to, I said this last year and I really didn't, but I'm going to try to get in more horror movies this October than I did last year. We'll see if that actually happens, but if it's nothing not, else, tough to do. if nothing else, at the very end of the month, I'll be binging Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and Castlevania. Fuck so. yeah, we've talked about that. What is it? We say it was... 26th. 26th, okay, sweet. Or something like that. I think 26th sounds right. Yeah, there's some really good shit coming out. And I think on the 6th might be the next season of Big Mouth. Was it the 16th? Is it Halloween's coming out? The 14th? Something like that? It's one of those things. Coming up. Dude, yeah, soon. soon. Super excited about that. Yeah, so we're in the throes of October and Halloween, and man, it's fun. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Yeah, I'm done for this week, though. Do you have anything else? No, outside of that, I did introduce Jeff and Ashley. Well, Ashley's seen it before, but I'm not going to name the film, but he finally got to watch it. It's one we're going to be covering very soon. Oh, okay. That's any tip-off. Okay. Yeah, he really enjoyed it. That's all I can say. Shit, let's get to the guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Oh. <sighs> 
Guts and Bolts. Yeah, Guts and Bolts. Alright, so this is the part of the show where we talk about the cast and crew and what went into making this movie, along with a little bit of a synopsis and (laughs) some warnings warnings. in case you've never seen the movie before and are deciding to watch it based on what we're telling you right now. Yeah, so for us, it's a way to try to sell the movie for you to get to watch it. And also just uh, think about some of these people and how it all links up, because we see some of these people time and time again throughout the horror universe. Yeah, and it's kind of neat to play Connect the Dots with a lot of these people and all the projects they've been involved with. Yeah, that's one of the things I nerd out about. But yeah, I guess to kind of lead off, you want to give them a brief synopsis of what this film is about? Okay, synopsis. A family runs into a group of cannibal mutants out in the desert. It's about as simple as it gets. Right? For that. Like yeah. that's Okay, here's what we can do with the guts and bolts partially. We have covered the original version of this before. This we is a remake. Have. So, one of the great things to do and we would appreciate it is if you would go back to episode 12 and listen to us. Absolutely. That way you get an idea of what the original is about in case you haven't seen it. And this movie is goddamn near the same thing but a Just bit gorier. About, yeah. There are a few exceptions, but yeah, definitely a lot more visceral, a lot more gory. There's some changes, and we'll get to that. But it's goddamn near the same movie. Some of the scenes almost seem like shot for shot. Pretty much, yeah. So, yeah, family runs into fucking hell out in the desert. Out on a family vacation. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good synopsis. I think so. So, let's see. Crew first? Yeah, we'll talk about the crew. So, to lead off, we'll talk about the director on this film, and the director is Alexander Aja, and the AJA is actually acronym for... His full name. Yeah, so it's like, that's pretty clever. So anyhow, you might be familiar with films maybe like Furia. It came out, it's like one of his early films. And then a film that came out in the mid-2000s, highly recommend it, we'll eventually get to it. But it came out with Hot Tension, High Tension. Dude, I love that fucking movie. Gruesome, love it. Yeah, as soon as we pop back to... uh... Some French, French extremist. Dude, so good. We're definitely... I mean, High Tension, Frontiers, and what? There's like one other big one that we have left. At least Eels, as far which as, is like them. Eel, right. Yeah. As far as like the horror size Pretty much. side goes, because some of those extremists were way more on the sexual side, so... Yeah, and a lot more perversion, like you were saying, yeah. so yeah. But Mr. Aja has also directed such films as Piranha 3D. You might have seen a Daniel Rutcliffe film entitled Horns. He was also the director in a film called Crawl, which is in post-production, and another film called Space Adventure Cobra, which is in pre-production. We do have a few writers, one of them. These characters and the whole film is based upon Wes Craven's film, (laughs) who we've talked about several times. Including the last episode. Yeah. Serpent, the Rainbow, and Wishmaster. So yeah. last two. <laughs> now three. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we just can't get away from Wes Craven. No, we love Wes Craven. So how many episodes have we mentioned Wes Craven now? Jeez. Please go listen to them. I'd say probably close to ten or better now. Big name in horror. Iconic. Absolutely iconic. We get a lot of the ideas straight from him, and it gets to becoming this movie. So, of course, he gets credit. Did he pick Aja for this? He sure did. He saw High Tension and liked it so much. He's like, hey, approached him, wanted him to direct a remake. It looks like a lot of people, well, maybe not a lot, but quite a few people on this project were on this project because of High Tension. Yep. Because I can think of at least one of the uh, cast members. That's basically the reason he came on, too. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. 
All right, so along with Wes Craven, which we said that the film is based upon Alexander Aja and his writing partner, Gregory Levasseur, they both helped write this. And with Alexander, I wrote down just two that he helped write. He did help write the screenplay for the movie P2, which I really like. It's a good film. And the remake of Maniac, but 2012 is Maniac. Yeah, it's really good. I recommend that as well. But Lavasser, he helped write the screenplay for Alexander's film Feria, High Tension, P2, Mirrors, and the film Maniac. So there's some other writing credits. Our cinematographer on this film is Maxime Alexandra. And go figure, they helped with the cinematography on the film High Tension. Other films I have included are Paris Jatem, which means I love you, Paris. <laughs> You might have seen his work on Catacombs, maybe P2, the film Mirrors, The Crazies, 2012's Maniac, the movie Silent Hill, Revelation. What I'm excited about is what I'm seeing right at the top of Maxime's filmography, which is, yeah, which looks great so far. That trailer looks all sorts of charming, so. Yeah, I've got three other projects, the film Annabelle Creation, the recent film that just came out, The Nun. And the upcoming film, Crawl. All right, now our editor on this is a person we've actually talked about before, but this person goes by the name Baxter. And some of the projects that he helped edit were High Tension, the film that we've covered, Inside, the film Mirrors, Piranha 3D, another French film, Livid, the film Maniac, and the film Horns. Now, the music on this is done by a team, and that team is called Tom and Andy. And I had to look at some of their credits because they've got some pretty heavy credits. So they help compose music and soundtrack work for such films as like Oliver Stone's JFK, Natural Born Killers, The Beach. There's films such as Killing Zoe, which they go back to like 1993. You might have seen the film Waking the Dead. I know I've mentioned Jennifer Connelly in the last three weeks, (laughs) but they did the score on that. Such films as Rules of Attraction. I'm a big fan of that movie. The Mothman Prophecy, which is pretty decent. The movie Mean Creek. There's other films such as The Covenant, the film P2, the film Resident Evil Afterlife. Such things as Resident Evil Underground and Resident Evil Retribution. They've got films such as Animal, Seven Minutes, Sinister 2. So, I mean, these guys are in some pretty cool horror action films, drama, just kind of all over the map. But, yeah, pretty cool partnership. Now, a special effects team is a team we've talked about a lot more than we've talked about Wes Craven. And that is K&B Effects Group. Now, the only person, a part of that group, that didn't work on this project was Mr. Kurtzman. But Gregory Nicotero and Howard Berger were both in the makeup department. And one of them actually is a character in this film. I was about saying, Nicotero is in a small bit in this movie. Certainly is. I was like, nice. That's pretty cool. So, of course, they helped with the special makeup effects on this project. Pacific Title helped with the opticals on this Another company we've talked about before is Res Illusion. They help with the visual effects. And Cyber Effects Incorporated help with the 3D scanning on this film. Our producers, of course, were Res Craven. We have Sami Leani. They were the Moroccan producer on this film. Peter Locke, Marianne Madalena. Frank Hildebrand was the executive producer. And Cody Schweig was the associate producer. The production companies that I have were Craven Madalena Films. This was in association with Dune Entertainment, and it was financed by major studios partners. The distributor on this film was Fox Searchlight Pictures. They helped with the 2006 USA theatrical release. It was released here in the States, the United Kingdom, and in Ireland on March the 10th, 2006. 
The budget was an estimated $15 million. Opening weekend here in the States, it made $15.7 million. It grossed $41.8 million here in the States, and worldwide, it's made $70.3 million, which is not a bad return on your investment, right? I do have three taglines for this film. I was like, yes, love taglines. So the first one I have is they will be the last thing you ever see. The second one I have, where the road ends, the hunt begins. And the third one, which is actually a nod back to the original film, is The Lucky Ones Die First. And it's funny because I've got the tagline from the old one, and it says, The Lucky One Died First. Yeah, so it's like, that's pretty neat. They're still giving nods. Yeah, that's the people who helped go into making the film. And now we can talk about the cast in this. Yeah, and it's a really good cast. Front of the scenes. Let's see, who should we start with? Maybe well, I've got a Stanford? Well, I've got it broken down by the family okay. and by the cannibals we've mentioned. And a lone gunman in this, okay. so to speak. All right, so I'll start with the family. And I'm going to talk about the parents first. And the father in this film, who is Big Bob Carter, is played by Ted Levine. So if you're uh, not familiar, there's a huge iconic character he played. Uh, Bloodbath McGrath in Wild Wild West. Totally iconic. <laughs> Wild Wild West. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, Look so if you, you like, if you like Will Smith... He was in Wild Wild West, but... Rusty Nail, the voice of Enjoyed Yeah, gotta love that character. <laughs> he was in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, if you might be familiar with that. He was in the film The Mangler, Heat, Bullet. He was in Flubber, believe it or not. He was in the film Evolution, The Fast and the Furious, the film Ali, Wonderland, Shutter Island, and his most iconic role, which he got pigeonholed. I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me real hard. I'd fuck me hard. <laughs> Holy shit. So if you don't know that line, we are talking about Buffalo Bill. Jame Gum. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, so that was a dope little pull for them to get him into this movie. Yeah, and he's who I was referencing where he also liked high tension. So he was like, cool. Yeah, I'll come on. Yeah, exactly. It's like, man, that's, that's a great pull. Now, the mother in this film, her character's name is Ethel Carter. And it is a lady we've actually talked about before because it's played by Kathleen Quinlan. And she was in such films. I want to go back a little bit. She was in the film American Graffiti, which is a George Lucas film. She was also in a film we've mentioned before because of 1977's Airport. It was Jack Lemmon's son was in that film. She was in a Gene Wilder film, Hanky Panky. She was also in the segment It's a Good Life from Twilight Zone, the movie, from way back in the day. She was in Val Kilmer's The Doors. You might have seen her in Apollo 13, a film that we have reviewed. So if you want to hear it, go back and listen to our episode of Event Horizon with our friend who helped with the music on this, and Justin. She was also in the film A Civil Action, and you might have seen her in the Prison Break television series from 2008 through 2009, and she was also in the film Horns. So, yeah, she's been in a wealth of films and television work. The next person I have on this film is a person we'll probably get back to at some point, but Vanessa Shaw, she plays Lynn Carter Bukowski on this film. Who I know well from having seen Ladybugs in the theater. I've seen that movie a shit ton of times. By that way, that movie does not age well. No, I mean, yeah, considering. Yeah. So you got go Jonathan Brandis. Don't go back and rewatch <laughs> Ladybugs. I mean, maybe. If you maybe. grew up at the same time we did. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, Jonathan Brandis, right? Who we yeah. covered in It, the first chapter. Who that role was supposed to be played um, by Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> Holy shit. So if anyway, you want to we see... don't need to turn this into a Ladybugs. No, problem, but... I know we're just kind of pitching it. 
But it was a Rodney Dangerfield film as well. It was fucking crazy. And, of course, we're talking about Vanessa Shaw because she was in that film. She was also in the film Hocus Pocus, which we've talked about several times. You might have seen her in the film Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick's. She was in the film I really enjoy comedy called Corky Romano. You might have seen her in 40 Days and 40 Nights. She was in the film 310 to Yuma. She was a part of the Vegas television series from 2012 through 2013. And more recently, she was on Ray Donovan, the television series. I've heard really good things about Ray Donovan, but I've never watched it yet. No, I haven't either. Leif Schreiber, John Voight. I like me some Leif Schreiber. I like both of those guys. Right? Now, the person that you mentioned is Aaron Stanford. He plays the husband of Vanessa's character in this, but he is Duck Bukowski in this film. Now, I want to say, Aaron Stanford, he in both X2 and X-Men The Last Stand, literally played a mutant that could control fire. Yeah. And by the end of this movie, he's a bigger badass. That's saying a lot, isn't it? <laughs> I also didn't recognize him from that I role didn't at all. Like, I've seen the, both of those movies. Well, I've seen X3 way more times than I've wanted to. <laughs> That's that okay. It's not that great. But X2 is a fucking fantastic X-Men movie, and I've seen it a number of times. Nice. Would have never put it together. That was the same guy. Yeah. And I don't know why. It just, <laughs> something about him, it just didn't click. But no, it's Pyro. Yeah, exactly. That's what I have him written down. Now, he does go back a little bit with a film I really like. It's the film 25th Hour. He was also in Live Free or Die. He was in the 12 Monkeys television show from 2015 through 2018, and you might right. also recognize him. We should note that that's not Live Free or Die Hard. No, no. It's Live Free or Die. <laughs> yeah. Whole different film. And he was more recently in a show called Fear the Walking Dead from 2018. All right. Now, the next person I have on this is Dan Bird. He plays the character of Bobby Carter. He goes back a little bit, and I wrote down two shows you might be familiar, Tyler, because he was in an episode of Judging Amy from back in 2001. Right, and he was in an episode of ER, Same and here. I can't think of <laughs> who he was in that episode, but I recognize the name of the episode. Like, that was a good episode. If I Should Fall From Grace is a good episode. Nice, dude. I know. He was in a Stephen King sequel, and that was to Firestarter Part 2, Rekindled. He was also part of Salem's Lot television series in 2004. You might have seen him in the film Easy A. Which is a dope movie. Yeah, it's a pretty good film. He was in a more recent film with two comic geniuses, and that is the film Sisters, if you like Tina Fey, Amy Poehler. And he was also a part of the Cougar Town television series from 2009 through 2015. So I had to look him up because I was like, dude, I recognize this kid. And when I saw EZA and Cougar Town, I was like, oh, okay, I know where he's from now. So the next actress I have, and this kind of rounds out the family, and this is Emily DeRivine. She plays Brenda Carter in this film. She was in the 1999 and 2000 television series Beastmaster. <laughs> Don Coscarelli inspired, I imagine. She was also in Roswell, the television series from 2000 and 2002. She was in the film Brick, which I know we're both fans of. She was in the film The Perfect Game. You might have seen her in Public Enemies. She was in the film Remember Me, which I have seen. It's not one I'd always brag about. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a pretty decent film. She was also in Lost, which I think she got her most notoriety I was from. about to say, she's Claire from Lost. So. Yeah, from 2004 to 2010. 72 episodes of Lost. A lot. I'm sure you've probably <laughs> seen her at some point. And more recently, she was actually a part of Once Upon a Time, the television series, which started in 2012 yeah, until more recently. Yeah, on that. Yeah, so that kind of rounds out the family, the Carter family in this film. Now we can talk about some of the mutant family. 
And I'll lead off because this is a gentleman we've actually talked about before. And I'm going to talk about Mr. Billy Drago. He okay. plays Papa Jupiter in this film. Oh, good old Papa Jupe. Yeah, he's got a shit ton of credits. And I didn't want to write every single one of them down, but I did want to mention a few that kind of stood out. Moonlighting? Yeah. He was in the vampire film Vamp, which is a pretty decent film, man. He was in the film The Untouchables. He was in a Chuck Norris film, Hero and the Terror, which is a pretty decent film, dude. And we should probably really mention Imprint because yeah, we've covered Takashi. it. I mean, that was a one that we definitely covered. He was a part of a Bruce Campbell television show. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> the Adventures of Briscoe County, County Jr. Jr. Yeah, that's back in 1993 and 94. He was on an episode of The X-Files in 2000. You might have seen him in Tremors Part 4, The Legend Begins. He was in a film I know I've mentioned a couple times, but he was in the film Mysterious Skin. He was also in Charmed from 1994 through 2004. And like, Lords of Salem. Yeah, dude. Fucking good. I like Billy Drago. All right, next person I have in this is Robert Joy. He plays the character Lizard, and he's known for some of the horror films he's been in, but let's have him go back, and the first one I have is Amityville 3D. He was also part of the Equalizer television series from 1985 through 1989. You might have seen him, Tyler, in a little film called Waterworld. He was also in Harriet the Spy, the HBO movie 61, about Roger Maris. Great film, man. Highly recommend it. He was also in Land of the Dead. He was in Aliens vs. Predator, the Requiem film. So I was like, nice. He's got some horror credits. Next person I have is a pretty well-known actor in terms of horror and television series. But this person is Michael Bailey Smith. He plays the character of Pluto. Part of the reason why he was chosen for this is because he was in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. He was oh, the yeah, giant he Freddy. Super Freddy, huh? Yeah. I probably remember him most from Charmed because he yeah. was Balthazar. Yeah, from like 2000 through 2002. He was also in the film The Fantastic Four. That's the 90s version. Oh, yeah, which was unreleased, but you can find it, or at least parts of it. So I've seen parts of that, too, and it's not good. I can imagine. Probably (laughs) not so for that time of year. All right, now he's in a film franchise because of an actor I like, Eric Wabuch. But he was in Best of the Best Part (laughs) 3. You might have also seen him in an episode of The X-Files from 1999, that is. He was in the film Undisputed, which is I think is criminally underrated, man. We talked about Wesley Snipes, Ving Rhames. Mm-hmm. Great film, dude. He was also in Men in Black Part 2. You might have seen him in The Master of Disguise. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> he Want was to be a master of disguise. Oh, that movie's so funny, dude. He was in the sequel to this film, The Hills Have Eyes Part 2, and he's also part of My Name is Earl from 2006 through 2007. Now, the next actor I have is Ezra Buzzington. He plays the character of Goggle. Now, he goes back to some really cool films because he was in Fight Club. You might have heard of it. We talked about Brad Off <laughs> a couple times. He was also in a Tom Cruise film, which I really like, the movie Magnolia. I think that's another really good one. You might have seen him in a Jim Carrey film called Me, Myself, and Irene. He was also a part of Buffy, the television series in 2000. You might have seen him in the film Ghost World, which I highly recommend. It's a really good film. He was in the film Secretary, kind of a kinky movie. Oh, yeah, I've seen Secretary. Yeah, yeah. I have too. <laughs> he was in the film The Prestige, another one I like a lot. He was in Rob Zombie's Halloween. He was a part of the film Mirrors. You might have seen him in the film The Artist, which is a really funny comedy, if you like Kids in the Hall. He was also part of the Justified television series in 2010 through 2012. He was in Crossbones, the television series in 2014, and a comedy series entitled Baskets from 2017. 
I've actually heard really good things about Baskets. I haven't it's seen it yet. Have you funny. seen it? I've seen a few episodes. Zach Galifianakis right, and, and uh, Louis Anderson. Louis right? Anderson as his, as his mo- drag as... mom. Yeah. <laughs> Shit's wild. Zach Galifianakis plays his own twin brother and is based off of one of his comedy characters. Right. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah, so go check that show out. You'll see Ezra on there. <laughs> All right, the next actress I have is Laura Ortiz. She plays the character of Ruby in this film. Now, she goes back into an Eddie Murphy film called Norbit. You might have seen her in that. She voiced a character in Horton Hears a Who. She was in a franchise we mentioned a few times, but she was in Hatchet Part 2. She was in Guardians of the Galaxy. She reprised a role in Victor Crowley, which I mentioned is a part of the Hatchet series. She had lent her voice in several episodes of Robot Chick, and this is from like 2011 through 2018. And she was also a part of the Holliston television series from 2012 through 2018, starring Dee Snyder. <laughs> All right, and last but not least to round out the family, we've already mentioned his name, but Greg Nicotero plays the character of Sist. And Burger, well, what can you say? Special effects, that's all you need to know. All right. And last but not least on this film, I do have an actor by the name of Tom Bauer. He does play Jeb, the gas station attendant. I was like, mm, that's kind of harsh. I think he owns it. Did you mention Desmond Askew as Big I, Brain? I didn't. I should have. Him. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, he doesn't have the most. That's part of right. Credits anyway. I mean, yeah, he, but he does play Teresa's, Big Brain, which came out the same year. Yeah. Which I never did see, but I, I remember that. I, I remember the trailers looking kind of fucked up, but I don't know how the movie itself actually ended up being. He has a pretty fucking crazy part in this film. And he does a couple voices in the first Dragon Age game. Nice. but yeah. We like Dragon Age. They're fun. Yeah. yeah, but you're right. He plays Big Brain in this film. I think there's a woman who plays the mother. I can't. I don't even give her credit because I was like, yeah, she wasn't really in a whole lot. Oh, yeah. Ivana Turchetto is Big Mama. Yeah. And then the baby in this film was like, this is the only credit. <laughs> it's like I don't have to really mention the baby's name in this film, but there is a baby in this film. All right, so that kind of rounds out the cast and crew. We gave you a brief synopsis. We should give you some warnings in this film. Kind of already alluded to them. Rape. Definitely rape. It's not too gratuitous, though. I mean, it's, no, you know... No, it's not. It's actually not as bad as I remembered it being. Yeah, I, I think that's probably part I of think, like that. Is there a rape that's worse in the sequel to this one? Because that might be probably. the one that I was remembering. I haven't seen the sequel in so long. All I remember the sequels, that's where like they send in like the army guys after them. Exactly. But, and there's like a Papa Hades, but that's about all I remember. Exactly. Yeah, it's been a hot minute, so I, I hate to remark on it. But yeah, so there's, I mean, it's, it's implied rape, but they don't really show anything. Yeah, it's more it's implied. It's physically than it, brutal. It's more implied than it was in the original. For sure. So, I mean, there's a good bit of violence in this. There's there some is. good gore. Some really good gore. I mean, when this came out, it was kind of, it was on the higher edge of gore intention for what you would see in mainstream yeah yeah no doubt but it's not too much past i agree when you look at it in retrospect it's probably not as bad as it was made out to be when it first came out this isn't like we're popping in martyrs or ichi exactly or something like that but it is still pretty brutal it's more brutal than like most other movies or most of their slashers and stuff i agree Um, with that a little bit hard to describe without going into like super like spoilery detail i think but know that you're getting gore like it's gonna happen like you said i don't think it's as bad as it was made out to be but it does push it past the mainstream past a little bit past what you would have seen in mainstream especially at the time period totally agree it wasn't that long ago. Oh, it really wasn't. You can, remember, you can remember what mainstream was in 06. Come on. Come I would on. hope so. I know, unless you're like 10 or something. Come on. <laughs> 
I agree with that. So you get your violence, you get your gore, like an implied rape. There's other things language. we'll get into. Yeah, there's definitely language in this film. Yeah, without spoiling anything. But Big Bob's not racist in this one. He's not. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> So a little bit more modern. <laughs> a little bit more modern. Just <laughs> <laughs> probably a good thing. Shit, uh, getting out made a squeal. Yeah. God, what's happening to me? Oh God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what? What's going on? Oh Jesus, come on! Oh my God, what's what's going on? Where where am I? Oh gee, why? Why? Come on, somebody, somebody! Ah, come on, come on, come on! Come on, somebody! Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there! Somebody's gotta be there! I will shock you! Come on, sir! Come on, sir! You must listen to me, sir. I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Alright, Hills Have Eyes, the remake. We should probably just get to it right away because it's a remake. Not beat around the bush any. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We've already talked about the first one. If people have been listening to us for a while, they're probably wondering by now, which did we like more? Ooh, alright. This is a fun kind of way to talk about a remake that's actually really strong compared to ones that have turned out to be fucking flops. So it makes it more difficult to figure out which one do you like more. I think you've already mentioned to it or alluded to the fact that the old one doesn't age too well. I feel like this one has a little bit more staying power in that regard. So 20, 30 years from now, it probably still holds its weight. Yeah. There's things about the first one I miss that aren't in this one. Yeah, And we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth here in a second. But I would say I'm far more likely to rewatch this. I would agree. And probably kind of decently often. This is a really good one to revisit on it's occasion. It's probably not going to be as many years as it has been, because I think the last time I watched this one would have been ooh, around 08, 09. Wow. Yeah, so it's been a hot minute. I probably saw uh, it in the earlier part of this that. decade. I was about to say later than that. It must have been, let's see, what is it, 18 now? So I guess I probably saw it the last time and probably... 2012 2013 yeah for me it's probably been within the last six or seven years but it's been a hot minute since then but it's probably not going to be that long before i rewatch this again yeah it's a good one it's a fun one to watch now differences and things i miss this one would be a hundred times better if they would have just found some way to work in michael berryman dude that would have been awesome yeah that's a huge one there are some slight differences in some of the storyline in terms of the mutant family, where it doesn't spell out things quite as clear, per se, with one of the characters. Well, I was going to say, I feel like this one does a weird... It kind of bounces back and forth. From, like, the mid-2000s on, we've seen a lot of horror characters get, like, more backstory and, you know, reboots try to make you understand them more. You, you know, you're looking at, like, Leatherface and Rob Zombie Halloween and You're right, and they, give, like they give a backstory. Or even the Jack Earl Haley Freddy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give right? them a lot more background. A lot more background, try to make a... This one, I felt like you got a lot more background about the background. Yeah, precisely, about the whole, but the entire family. But you got family. less about the, not the family, the clan. Right. Like the, yeah, yeah. the mutants. I like to think of them as the clan and the other as the family. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah, good point. You get a lot more background of like, this time they are explicitly warped from radiation. The first one, it was, eh. Yes, yeah. they lived where there were nuclear tests, but it seemed to be more of the effect that they were all of Pop Jupiter's. Inbreds. 
not just inbreds, but like something was wrong with him. Yeah, and it was More just passed down, which is you know something you see, especially in the horror that Wes Craven would have grown up with. That's something that's actually very Lovecraftian, with the badness being passed down yeah. to the blood. Although I would never all hills have eyes Lovecraftian. No, but I know what you mean though. That's an idea that he used a lot too, and that was a little bit more in the first one the problem rather than radiation radiation was just talked about a couple times yeah it was more or less like you said implied through the air force that was there this one they're like oh no yeah yeah i mean even from the the, get-go it it gets spelled out with that you're right from like 45 through 62 it was said that our u.s government they were doing atmospheric nuclear tests out in the deserts some parts of new mexico white sands just kind of that little pocket of the desert. I think in reality, the only atmospheric nuclear test that was done on the mainland was the Trinity test. There were other tests done. Yeah, but not atmospheric in, tests. Right, yeah, right. There was stuff that was done in the atolls and the Polynesian Islands, the Marshall Islands. Right. Oh, and that's where the other atmospheric tests were. Yeah, that was but like the majority of those were. Yeah, but it wouldn't there. have been Nevada, like was exactly. being shown in this movie. Yeah, so that's kind of the impetus to why these people are the way they are. You're right, because of the radiation fallout. But we get, compared to the original movie, a lot less time spent with and humanization of the mutants themselves. Mm-hmm. In this one, it's like they're just <laughs> they're evil monsters. beings, monsters that happen to exist out there and for the most part are damn near mindless. Yeah. Whereas in the first one, you have them like making jokes with each other and like <laughs> making fun of Mercury and shit. Like, yeah. Oh, we always make fun of you, Mercury. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that that whole clan is... They are different in the mentality and the way they're portrayed. Maybe I eat the baby tones like that time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of yucky. And and what I mean is the humor is kind of yuck. But I like it. It's funny. I miss that. But I don't know. I was trying to think of how to describe this one earlier as I was whipping together a little bit of food. And I feel like this movie, the way to explain the differences, because there's more differences than just the fact that you get less time with the clan. But the overall feeling of the difference is that this is the movie that you would make if somebody just told you about the first movie. I actually did a little bit more homework than I normally do. I didn't go rewatch the first movie. I didn't either. <laughs> but I re-listened to the podcast we did. Nice. So and I that's could hear. Do so I could lot, hear yeah. that you know what we thought of it at the time. I didn't want to go get new thoughts about that movie. I wanted to hear what we already talked about in it. And one of the points that we continually brought up about it, and why it was a little bit of a letdown, was that we both felt it was one of those movies, kind of like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that gets remembered as being more extreme than it truly is. Everything, when people talk about that movie, is blown up. It's It's exaggerated. it's, it's It's exaggerated. It's all hyperbole. And it's not the people's fault. I would say that that's part of the genius of both Original Hills Have Eyes and like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that Wes Craven made you think that that's what hap- what's happening, even though that's not what he's showing That's you. a very good point. I think he that's a... He put so much of the horror into your head. Yep. You kind of fill in the blanks. That you felt, yeah, that you'd fill in the blanks. And so the way you recall that story to someone else... Oh, man, it was brutal. And... Yeah, and they're... they're kidnap the baby and it's these fucking fucking these crazy fucking inbreds up in the hills and they eat people and they go in and they they fucking crucify this guy and they kill this guy and da 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 the way that you make it sound when you recall it is basically what this movie ends up being yes and they did an excellent job in giving you the goods yeah i agree 
There are other minor changes, like Fred isn't Fred. Right, exactly. And he's a much smaller character. And they make the family a lot more like. Did you feel like the family was way more likable in this one? Oh, yeah, no doubt. I know what you're saying with that, because they make you feel a lot more empathy for the characters in this. I think it's the way that it's shot. You feel a lot more personal with those characters. I mean, that's how I feel about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I remember, well, like, in the original Hills Have Eyes, and this is going to be a lot of just comparing back and forth. And that's okay. That's, that's, what, you, that's what the yeah. fuck you get when you're recovering a remake. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pete. No, you can't help but compare and contrast. I mean, like in the original, we already mentioned Big Bad Bob drops a hard R, <laughs> yeah. mentions a couple other things. And it's generally just a gigantic asshole throughout the movie. This one, he's a little bit of an asshole, but mostly to Doug. Yeah, he just likes he to isn't racist. Doug. No. And is a lot more likable. And the rest of the family in general, I found to be a lot more likable in this one. Yeah, I so said they're a lot more personable, I feel. They kind of allude to it in a little bit of joking in the beginning. Like there isn't the weird incest undertones between <laughs> yeah. the brother and sister that were saying. very prevalent in the first one. You don't have them, like, <laughs> laughing about Beast having killed a poodle. Yeah, that was fucked up. <laughs> Some of that. Instead, it's a lot more, like, natural-feeling family moments. I dug that quite a bit. Yeah. I liked actually liking the family, because it made me, you know, care about what happened to them, rather than just hoping the mutants killed them. <laughs> Which is kind of what happened with the first one. It does. I didn't care about any of them. You're right. They're just like characters that kind of thrown in the middle of a story. They're just there for the slaughter. Right. And not just there for the slaughter, but like dumb. So the first one sets up more that they're being at least watched right away when you have like Pluto looking at them through the fucking spy scope in the old one. Yeah. But this one, it's more clear that they're being set up and hunted right away. It's a lot more sinister from the get-go. It certainly is. The gas station guy is setting them up. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. They're yeah, getting... whereas the first one, he kind of he's warning not to go out there. Right. They're getting actively fucked with rather than being a fucking dumbass and overcorrecting and fucking their rig up themselves because they're going out in the fucking... I mean, the first to... one, that they were going off to try to find some fucking silver mines just because yeah. Big Bad Bob wanted to take a look at them <laughs> and then made some stupid driving mistakes... And fucked everybody. And over. fucked their own rig up, and that's when they started getting hunted. Yeah, you're right. This one is like the hunts from the set. They kind of give you that with those guys who are out there doing the Geiger tests. Oh, right. Right in the beginning, which I found a little silly. I kind of wish that they didn't have that. I knew what they were trying to get out of there. I think they were trying to drive home the point that there was all that Or I wish testing. it was like really a lot quicker. Like it ended with the first spike through or something. Couldn't have been as gratuitous, which I'm, you know, I'm fine either way with, but I understand that point. It was more because of how silly it looked, because you know, <laughs> it doesn't look natural. With yeah, the it, way they were flinging those bodies around. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the way that the movie The Crazies is shot. Oh, they have some shit like that where it's a different style of cinematography. I mean, it's kind of neat, but it's more actiony. God, and even that beginning, we mentioned it once already, but those opening credits were dope, and I was kind of hoping. I like it a lot. It's another one of those weird hopes, but I was kind of hoping that even though I'd seen it before and I knew it wasn't going to happen because I'd seen it before, <laughs> but after re-watching this movie and seeing that opening credits and really appreciating it, it was the sort of thing where I was like, man, Aja could have kept this going more somehow throughout the movie, like with the weird like scene cuts and stuff, you could have just like clipped in weird little out of place, like yeah. 
clips of like 50s Americana and stuff probably would have felt a little bit more like a Rob Zombie movie at that point with the way that he uses what the editing is the editing and clips in between his scene changes and shit but I feel like it would have worked for this they do try Mm. to use it in. I mean I don't say try but they do use it in a few scenes but that's about all you get right it's more it sets up like the imagery that they're going through in the ghost town at the end yeah but I think you could have kept splicing in those really weird, not just like the Fallout babies, yeah, yeah, but also just like the ideal fifties back and forth, and just I think there's something to be said about that. You know what I mean? Like that—that's some sort of stance and a, a little bit of an artistic vision. But like, look, here's your wholesome America and what it produced. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, we've kind of talked about it a little bit because of Wes Craven and the way that certain time periods are idealized and specifically in this case the 40s and 50s for a certain generation it was like a golden time because of all these innovations in technology and just the sciences and it was just a different time for that you know mm-hmm. after coming out of world war Two, so it becomes glamorized but behind the veneer there's all the sinister shit that's happening <laughs> in the name of all that stuff I'm wondering if there weren't times when this script was being written where it wasn't a little bit more of a commentary, and that's where we get some of that, like the opening title sequence, or like the imagery of Pluto being stabbed through the neck by an American flag <laughs> later on. Yeah. It feels like there is... How to, how to explain this? Like there's imagery in this movie that was meant to make certain statements right but the entire vision didn't come all the way through i know what you mean even though it's on main streets a little bit more subtle in the way the narrative plays out even though it's still like a reminder of like yeah this is patriotic and yeah Mm -hmm. they're living in this veneer of usa usa it could have been one of those things like it made me think especially some of the music cues towards the end with doug it started making me think of westerns. Actually, this made me think a little bit of Bone Tomahawk, and I kind of wish Bone Tomahawk would have been more like this movie. Yeah. No, we've really <laughs> talked about that. It's like, it was a fun movie, but it just could have been condensed. This made me think of westerns, and the fact that it had a foreign director made me specifically think of spaghetti westerns, and the difference of how, like, old-school American westerns were, like, hero-worship movies, and then you got spaghetti westerns where a bunch of people didn't grow up in the culture but read stories about it afterwards, and so were able to throw, you know, a darker, more realistic spin on it. I felt kind of like you could have done that with this movie, with the atomic backdrop and, like, cool, yeah, 50s, awesome, super American (laughs) apple pie, this or that, but you were also testing atomic bombs... This is sort of horror that they bring upon the world. You were the first fuckers to actually do it to people. Yeah. They're still, due to nuclear testing, because of arms race that you were an active part of, there's all these babies that are being born this way. This is sort of your fallout being brought back down upon yourselves. Yeah, it is. It's an implosion of sorts. All that stuff's collapsing back in on itself. And I think, to an extent, just making them actual radiation mutants rather than inbred almost cultists that they were in the first one is already making that statement, but... Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's just the way that it's told, I suppose. But just for, I guess, basic principles, it's like it's easy to follow and it's not making too much of a statement in this film. I didn't notice it the first time through, but I ended up having to take a note on my second go-through. The lizard getting caught on the fucking spike yeah, strip yeah, yeah. 
was dope. Yeah, it's like, you know, you don't wish ill harm on anything, but cinematically, that was like, ooh. It kind of drives home the point, like, some fucked up shit's about to happen. Well, not just that, but it was also like, they're actively being hunted rather than just fucking up Happenstance, driving. exactly. I yeah. liked that. I liked that a lot You're more. Right. It, it turned up the tension. There was tension in the original because you knew that they were being watched. There was tension in this one because you knew they were being hunted, and I think that made a big difference. I wonder, too, because of the way that... <clears throat> So there's a character whose story is different, completely different, in terms of the way it gets played out. To so get out of that family, and so she's like in cahoots with a gas station owner, mm-hmm. and the clan catches wind of it and tries to put halt to her all her shit by going through that guy. Whereas I feel like maybe she's actually like giving him gifts with all the jewelry and cash and the bags that they find so that he can keep up that stuff for them. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what I got from it was that yeah. it was all a plan. And that's why he was also going off like, I can't do it anymore. Like, I can't keep fucking sending people to get killed. Yeah, and that's what made me wonder, too, about her character because her background and, like I said, the original, it's a lot more of an empathetic character. Like, she wants to get out and it just doesn't go right. Whereas yeah. this one, yeah, it's like... They're all in cahoots, and it's just a little different. I guess that's something else I missed a little bit, is I wanted... I liked in the original how she wanted, very specifically, was shown she wanted like to help wanting the baby to get out. And, rather, yeah. in this one, it was more like... She was it more didn't seem like she character. wanted to get out, rather than she just didn't quite agree with the rest we're doing. Yeah. That's why it was kind of a mixed message in terms of her character development, because especially knowing the I original... Mean, that's the problem, though, is that none of them get as much character development as they did in the, the original, totally which agree. kind of works for this movie. Yeah, I mean, if the direction it went in it works perfect. Because of how much more sympathetic they made the family, it kind of works, because now it's the family arrayed against evil forces. Right. Whereas before, it was just like one fucked up family. <laughs> one dumb family. One really fucked up family versus one kind of shitty family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not great people, but they're a lot more sympathetic. I listened to our episode, and I don't think I said this in that one, but in this one, I, I'm going to have to bring it up, because okay. especially with the amount of animosity that Big Bad Bob was showing towards him, and how much he definitely did not fit in with the rest of the family, in order to keep with his wife, like, <laughs> Doug's got a magic dick, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like, that's why she's even like, oh no, we're getting it on in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> While Big Bad Bob is out looking for somebody in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, they go to Bone Town. <laughs> He's got to have a magic deck, right? <laughs> no, it's implied. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> now, most of my notes are just basically just following the film and just the subtle differences. And what we keep going back to is the gore factor in this film because of the work of K&B and just the way that the clan is depicted more as a monster group, like literal cannibals and... They're just there for, through no fault of their own, really, but it's developed into like this, not really revenge, but it's just kind of like, well, you made us, so this is what you get, and that's their way of survival out there in the desert. Yeah. A change that I really like, I kind of miss it, but I like because of the way that the characters changed, is that they're no longer like Papa Jupiter, Mercury, Mars, all that. Yeah. I kind of miss it at first. But I feel like in the older one, and we talked about it, the plan for the original one was that it was supposed to be a little bit more like a cult Mm -hmm. based off the Sonny Bean family. There was supposed to be way more members and it was supposed to be like more of a fight between the members of the family out in the hills, the clan, than a fight between them and the family. But, you know, budget and time and this and that. 
And all their naming scheme and stuff, that all made sense for when it was supposed to be a little bit more culty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would give those names out. Eventually, as I thought about the character change and the fact that they are now more inbred mutants rather than inbred cult, <laughs> yeah. I like the fact that it's a lot more simple. You still have Papa Jupiter to sort of be a callback, but then you have like goggles and yeah, cyst. exactly. And like Ruby never fit in anyway with the old one and shit like that, so... You know, one thing, it's like, man, that was kind of clever. If you're paying attention to metaphors or (laughs) her name is Ruby. What's the first thing that you see her still from the family? I I don't remember. Is that the gas station? You see her still, the red hoodie. Oh, Ruby Red. They use a little bit of like Disney stuff, like Red Riding Hood, perhaps with that. So that's really funny. I wish I would have wrote it down when I was doing some research on the movie. I saw where somebody broke down how this movie could be taken as an allegory for the Red Riding Hood story and broke down like character by character. But honestly, it was like, I don't know how you're getting that because most of these characters are in the movie for all of like five seconds. One of the things that I don't like about this version is that there's hardly any Papa Jupiter. Yeah. No, Drago in this film, yeah, he doesn't get a whole lot of time at all. The few moments he has, they're very subtle. They're right to the point. Not only that, but that's one of the parts that I feel like doesn't make the most amount of sense. I feel like it would have made a lot more narrative sense. I know that they were just following what the original did, and you have Pop Jupiter and Mars in the same places. But for this one, especially with the more explicit rape and with not having as much time with the clan to understand their dynamic... I feel like it would have been better to switch around Jupiter and Mars at the end so that Brenda could have at least finished off and gotten revenge on her rapist. Yeah, exactly. Which she doesn't at all. Which instead, Papa Jupiter comes out of nowhere. He does. All all they know, Bobby and Brenda know, is that they're probably going to get hunted while Doug's away. So they just set up a trap. And it happens to be Papa Jupiter, who has a way tinier part in this one, even though it's probably the (laughs) coolest fucking actor you have in this movie. Yeah. I mean, to various degrees, you're absolutely right. Other than maybe fucking Levine. Yeah, I would think with Levine and maybe Kathleen Quinlan. But I mean, she's just the mom. This fellow's not a big deal. And yet he's relegated to four minutes screen time. Yeah, just like I said, just on screen airtime is very subtle. And it's right to the point. There's no character development. He doesn't really feel like a father figure in this group. Yeah, and they leave him the name Papa Jupiter. But he but doesn't do any Papa stuff. He's not the Papa, and he's not even the Patriarch. It seems like everything's being run by Big Brain. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah, uh, that's kind of weird, but you're absolutely right. And the fact, too, that they're playing on, that they had family that were descendants from minors, apparently, mm-hmm. during those testings, and... They are the products of the fallout. They drive home the point that they're buried, that family members are buried in that mine. I mean, outside of that, it's like it's hard to see where the hierarchy comes from. Yeah, I don't know. I guess there's things I miss about the first one. I'm way, way more likely to rewatch this one. If I had my perfect version, it would basically be this one, but get rid of Big Brain and it re-expand Papa Jupiter's role. Mm-hmm. Make Michael Berryman Papa Jupiter. That'd be awesome, dude. I'd be all for that. Make Billy Drago Mars. Yeah, that would make a lot more sense. And make Mars from this one Pluto. Yeah, definitely. That'd be perfect. 
And it's pretty much exactly what I want from Hills Have Lies at that point. In a unique way, it is a blend of the two, but it's not the final version <laughs> of the two. <laughs> yeah. And we might not ever get the final, you know, that's the okay. version that I if want. If it's not a true realization yeah, of the fine. both, yeah, it's okay. Uh, I love both versions. This one, this has one feels definitely a, higher... a lot more fulfilling overall. Yeah. I feel like I keep like getting down on it because I just keep pointing out all the shit that is different. But the different isn't necessarily worse. It's just different. Yeah, and, you know, you got to think, too, about the time period and the direction of film and horror in general during that time period, the old one, compared to this one, where you have three decades pass by, so Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a lot of horror in that span. So there's different directions they took it in. Not that this is exploitative, and I I hate to use the word, too, on this film because I don't feel like it's appropriate, but this gets kind of clumped in with torture porn. Who was it? When I was doing some reading, was it Ebert? I don't know if he labeled Dude, it, but somebody I did read pointed some shit out that he... one of the one of the big critics was like, "Look, like you might not like this, but lumping it in with torture porn also isn't true. Like this isn't that. This is just a high gore or a high violence remake of a '77 flick. It really is. It's, it's not just a like little... a Saw. It's no. not a Hostel. No. And we even talked about Saw. Like the original Saw is... isn't bad. No, not at all. Not even close to torture porn. Two. Not bad. No. Three is probably where it starts. Three, four, five. That's when you start getting a little bit more into that. Yeah, the sadistic part of it. And that's kind of a unique thing that you brought up at the beginning, too, with certain films. The way that you describe it to people, typically it'll come off a lot more gratuitous sounding, more visceral sounding than it actually is portrayed on film. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, when you describe this one on film... You mean it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, not only do you mean it, though... But that's what you're going to get. Yeah. But I also feel like... I would still also like to see somebody take another stab at this one day and do it like if you were to describe this one to somebody, make that movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's funny. You know what I mean? Just kind of, yeah, you build upon it. Just keep building upon it. Keep layering those. A little bit more because this is a great, like the cannibal family in the hills, great archetype. There's a reason it was able to keep that archetype alive from Sonny Bean through Hills Have Eyes. You get a little bit of that in like Texas Chainsaw once again. You could. What was that one that we did? The Indonesian movie? Oh, Macabre. Macabre yeah. is kind of this. It really is. It's a mashing of it. Yeah, I'm blending um, of it. You're right. It doesn't have to be set in the States corpses. either. Yeah. Kind of this. It's the same premise of the cannibal family. And this Hills Have Eyes is a great framework. People going through the middle of nowhere end up getting hunted. Give it Super to Rob Zombie. simple. You can just keep building on these. <laughs> you and you're can. never going to do a bad thing job no the foundation's already in place as long as you don't fuck too much with the formula you're going to be all right and i'd say that the best way to do it is to just cranking it up a little bit yeah you can explain the the story to someone (laughs) and have them fill it in through their use of more extreme yeah because i think that's the only way to go with this is a tiny bit more extreme every time some people would call it gratuitous but i think it's a good way to define that time spans the hyperbole just the over exaggeration that we give But the good thing is, you're right, you can build upon those foundations and actually visualize them more so. Ooh, this all made me think one of the other things, the specific differences I can think of. Although the way the scenes played out, not that different. The actual kidnapping Mm -hmm. and like the sneaking into the RV and all that found it way more terrifying in the original than this one didn't like the characters of Mars and Pluto as much in this one. They don't have that same dynamic. The Mars actor is better. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right about that. The Mars actor is far better. No offense to Mars from the first one, 
he was kind of goofy in all the <laughs> one scene though but the actual character i like the character more in the first one rather than how all over the place he is in this one yeah exactly these characters are very erratic and it made that scene just a little bit goofier. I keep using that word because I described. I know what you mean I though. I described it's, Predator that way too, but it seemed a little. It's a little. I won't say cartoonish either because it, it's not cartoonish, but it, it's a little bit like said, it, exaggerated. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even quite to like dark humor. No, it's but just it was exaggerated. exaggerated to the point where I wasn't able to take it as seriously <laughs> as I was in the original. Damn, this is gonna sound so bad. That's okay. I've done that a few times on this show. <laughs> All right, one of that has to do with, for me. It has to do with the fact that when Vanessa Shaw's character comes back and discovers her sister's been raped, mm-hmm. and the baby's right there, and then my man he wants to get some suckling on, <laughs> and then mom comes in to see that shit. It becomes in a weird, demented way comical. You can't take it as serious as what's going on. You're like, dude, sucking titty right here. <laughs> This is supposed to be, like, horrific. That is horrific in that sense. Like, nobody wants to be sexually molested like that. But it, the way that it's portrayed, it's like, really? <laughs> like, this is really happening? <laughs> All right. Like, like, man, he's he's keeping that, that gun <laughs> aimed real straight on that baby for sucking some titty right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a metaphor. I don't know. Yeah, 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 who knows? But, yeah, I just found certain things like that. I was like, uh, you didn't really have to show that. I mean, I understand the point of why they were showing that, but it didn't really do anything for me. I did like the way that she got shot in the head. That <laughs> was fucked up. Oh, fucking... Was it Jeb in this one, not Fred? Oh, Jeb, yeah. Fucking blows his brains out. That was awesome. And I like that he still ended up dying in the shitter. Yeah. <laughs> Shitter's full. Because uh, when he got beat with the tire iron, he, he ended up getting impaled to the shitter. Yeah. In the first one. So the fact that that still ended in there, that was great. He did try to off himself in the first one when he thought Papa Jupe was coming. Mm-hmm. So that still all makes sense. Like, yeah, exactly. They just got him out of the picture earlier. Because it's a different origin. Like Like I said, the first one, it's a lot more about the Papa cold. Jupe's bad seed. Yeah. This one, it's more like the seed is bad because... Because of this, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And that's okay, because the way that it still plays out, it's still pretty solid on both ends. I think Wes Craven, like I said, no discredit to his film because it's a classic. You know, it's a cool classic on top of it. But through the lens of a modern audience, I feel like it has a little bit more flaws. The story is probably, like I said, more intact, but it has its flaws. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have that carrying weight, like we said. doesn't mean I won't watch it again. Just I would rather watch this one. I also love how they went to red for the credits. Yeah. That was the, probably my favorite little callback. Yeah. Two things I was talking about with Disney, the first one with the Red Riding Hood. The other one, of course, is the use of the dog's names in this, Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do that in the original as well. So there's some unique things, like except for the time period probably that Craven grew up in. Beast is still a good boy, too. Yeah. He kills Beast is doggles. a better good boy in this one because he didn't kill a fucking poodle. Yeah, he was good in this. He even brought back the severed arm he, he gnawed off with the radio. Oh, I should point out, there's a extremely good boy in Predator. Yeah? Yeah, there's a really good boy. We like good boys. There's an alien good boy. Who's a good boy? Alien For real? Good, yeah. Nice. Predator good boy. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're using... Uh, not not an... I was about to say, considering they've crossed over, it's not an alien good boy, it's a Predator good boy. Okay. But. <laughs> That's still pretty awesome. Yeah, there is a difference. <laughs> I like the fact that we actually did a remake that was super solid because it's easy to pick apart the ones that are shit. 
yeah. you know. But it makes for interesting conversations when you do stack up the former with the latter. And like I said, this is a fun film, man. I think for people who want a little something more ratcheted up, like you were saying, it's a perfect direction to go in. If you already like the first one and you've never seen this one, watch this one. Yeah, exactly. And you can make your parallels. And that's okay. Everybody has different opinions. If I just, you like House of a Thousand Corpses, watch this. This is a perfect compliment to that. I was going to say, it would be kind of interesting to see how... Not that he would do it, but how Rob Zombie would have done this yeah, film. There's not as much dark comedy in this one, though there are one or two little beats here and there. Yeah, there is. There's a little dark like humor. The lizard is kind of a little dark humor moment. Yeah, and that's okay, but overall, pretty solid film. I like the cinematography on this. The actors are solid. Oh, this is, once again, no offense to Wes Craven, but this is a little bit more beautifully shot than the... It was filmed in parts of Morocco. Which is yeah. super pretty. They said that that region they shot into was labeled the gateway into the Sahara. From what I understand, too, there's a film that I watched recently that's currently on Shutter too. Hmm. The film Revenge was shot in Morocco, so they have some beautiful landscapes, desert settings. Nice. <laughs> Which, um, if I'm not mistaken, too, I, I hate keeping her now, but I think that's where Aja's family is originally from. Like he's descended from Moroccans. Oh. Yeah. Dope. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Wow, that's cool. So this is nerding out a little bit. His father was a film director, too, so that's where that side comes from. I felt like I had more to say when I was thinking about this movie yesterday, but now that I'm sitting here, I kind of feel like I touched all the big salient points on it. Like, I can't think of what else I was going to get into, so... No. Like I said, I, I did like the character of Doug, and I understand, like, his switch in this film, because it seems like he's a big puss from all the characters... Well, not all characters, but from Big Bob and from Bobby. Bobby calls him out a little bit, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know... But then he has, of course, this moment of just complete, like, all right, most of my family's dead now. <laughs> and I have to do something. I can't be just the guy who's on the sidelines. He gets pulled right into that mm -hmm. shit, and he comes through. I mean, he has his moments where he's fucking up, but he does a good job on this film, the guy. I liked him. Oh, man. I loved him finding, like, the car graveyard. It's pretty awesome. They make and use then, of all that stuff, the... too the pull-out shot and you see that it's all the craters and shit. Like, yeah. that was fucking oh, cool. shit. Yeah, it gives you a little bit more impact, no pun intended, of that situation mm -hmm. and where they're at and there's nobody out there. And what's going on. I mean, not that they haven't hammered it home already. Yeah, I mean, those opening credits should have... <laughs> it's this neat little... It's this neat little reminder, though, that I thought was sort of like just kept you pulled in. Yeah, it doesn't stray too far from the narrative, yeah. Overall, it's just a really fun film. I'm glad mm -hmm. we got to visit it and... You know, it's one we've talked about several times now. We thought we had next week hammered out, but it is kind of up in the air. It depends on a couple things. Yeah, so we have some plans in the work, whether they fall through or not. We'll see. So we're about to come up with a backup plan in case our original plan isn't going to work out because there's a few things going on next weekend. But, exactly. Or but, potentially going on. Yeah, but regardless, we'll have something in, in the bank for you guys. But in order to keep listening to us, we would very much appreciate it if you'd hit subscribe, however you're listening to us right now. If you're on iTunes, it'd be great if we got a subscribe and like a review. Yeah, just give a that few words helps. out. It's That's, okay. It's really cool. Don't be scary. For all of our other stuff, you can go right to our website, www.friedsworms.com. Up at the top, there's links to places you can listen to it. Down at the bottom, we're always streaming the latest episode. And in the middle is links to our Instagram, the Twitter, and the uh, Facebook. Yeah, And you can always platforms. contact us through the website as well, or at our email, squirmcast at gmail.com. Yeah, so keep those recommendations, suggestions. We have heard from people inside of the industry, so that's always fun. You know, it just it kind of drives on the point that people are listening, and we're very appreciative. 
yeah, we love it when you guys listen to us, and we love it more when you let us know what you want us to talk about. Yeah, because, you know, we have our own set of ideas, but it's always nice to get a different lens in on this. So hit us up. But until then, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. out.